right now at 16 minutes past the big hour. Is that not right, Mr. Scream? <laughs> Great, good stuff. I think people are getting really cranked. Welcome back. This is the Hockey Show with JJ and Ryan, Colorado's biggest and best live hockey radio show. Coming into all the small things that swept the town by... I guess took it up, took the town right off their feet. Man, I'm tired lately. Uh, going to the get phones. Let's get it together. Let's get to Greg Wyshynski of ESPN.com. I'm losing my voice. I'm losing my mind. Greg, how's it going out there? I guess my first question to you, let's break the ice here. Were you able to find the airline of choice? I know you and I were discussing yesterday which airline you were having to fly going to Tampa. What did you end up going with? Well, I won't say what airline it is, but right. I will say that, like, you know how, like, sometimes uh, you're really hungry for pizza and then, like, the four top choices, uh, they're like closed or whatever. And then you have to go to that fifth <laughs> choice and you're like, it's still pizza. It's kind of where I am on the flight, but I think I'm going to get there. <laughs> That's all that really matters. <laughs> the page six in your pizza little black book. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like that. By the way, I apologize. Um, I wrote a feature on the origins of all the small things being an anthem for the avalanche. Um, there is an ESPN curse, and I believe that's the reason we didn't hear it last night. So I apologize for that. So I actually brought it up that we hadn't heard it yet by about 3.46 left in the game, and my buddy, the DJ Triple T, my kickball liney, uh, said <laughs> that the game scenario hadn't called for it. As you know, there's a feel to when it plays, so I'm not necessarily sure that it's the ESPN curse, but it's possible. We could blame you. No, I think it's it's fair. It's 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 well known within the ESPN editorial slack that whenever we, you know, do a story on somebody or have a story prepared on somebody, that inevitably uh, it, it ruins them. Um, so you could blame us for that. Although, again, like I, I don't understand the, the the dynamic of that thing because there was a moment where there was a stoppage with like less than four minutes to play. You know, the energy in the building is kind of like nervous. Like it would seem like a good vibe like a tension breaker, right, at that point. But I guess there's inherent rules on when you unleash uh, a, a celebration of social harmony like that. I think the unwritten rule is it has to be a lead because I remember back in, what was it, game two, uh, the Avalanche didn't have a lead. The game was tied. He played it anyway, and I saw some fans with some uproar uh, kind of even adding him on Twitter that, hey, we're not, we don't even have a lead here. So um, it's almost become like a, its own thing, though. I, I don't know if they recognize that it is a motivating factor for the crowd. Like, they love that sing-along aspect. It may have brought more energy, but it's hard to say. Yeah. Let's get in the series, Greg. Uh, you know, we see a lot of players limping their way out of the building and, and you know, a lot of players fighting through the, the pain and getting in the games anyway. But at, from a writing standpoint, from a journalism standpoint, I know you've been covering the playoffs for a long time now, I guess. How would you say your current compete level is as far as coverage, you know, <laughs> having, having dragged this on for a while? <laughs> well, I've been on the road since uh, May 15th, I think it's been. Um, so, it, you know, it's, I, I lucked out because I covered the Rangers a bit and I got to go home for a little bit during that series, obviously. Mm-hmm. still live in Brooklyn. Um, so it hasn't been straight through, like, never going back to your own bed type deal. Um, but I'm fine, man. Like, it's, it's great. It's like, it's the funnest thing ever is to do the Stanley Cup playoffs because mainly because like in a, in a, in a normal like day to day of the job during the regular season, you're inundated with all of these different things that are pulling you in different directions. You have to kind of keep your eye on 
the entire league and trades and hirings and firings and that kind of thing. And, you know, in the playoffs, there's a few of those things. Like I had to write about Luke Richardson getting hired in, in, in Chicago and stuff like that. But for the most part, it just becomes your routine. Like, you know, it's a day of travel. Now there's a game. I'll do TV before the game. I'll write a thing that talks about the game. After the game, I'll write a thing that talks about what happened. You know, it's like it becomes almost like a little bit more streamlined um, and predictable, which is is good. Um, and it also allows you to just kind of like focus in on, on one team. Like I'm not a beat writer, right? But like this series I am, cause I'm only writing about the lightning, um, pretty much. So that also is kind of beneficial too. And as far as the, all the other stuff goes, I mean, I don't sleep anyway. <laughs> so like, so like the idea that I had an hour of sleep last night after the game, I came back, I watched the last, that latest episode of the boys, took a nap. Oh yeah. Hero gasm. Yeah. And then, yeah, well I had to, right. It was trending. Uh, and then got up and went and went to uh, went to your airport as early as possible because it is your airport. Um, yeah, you know that's just how that's just how it works, man. In the playoffs, and I've been doing it long enough to be able to kind of maneuver my way through it. Well, I was going to ask a question about the series, but now I got to ask a question about the boys. I I was struck by this feeling uh, after watching the last episode that it's an incredible time to be alive where this show could exist, and it's something that when I was a child <laughs> was probably never a possibility. Is this maybe the most ridiculous, wild television show in existence. Well, it is, and, and it, it's a reminder that for all of the complaining about how superhero and, and genre of filmmaking and television has sort of taken over the culture, like, there's still room within it to do things like this, <laughs> where it's, like, insane over-the-top violence, insane over-the-top in the last episode sexuality, uh, and then also, at the same time, sort of, sort of miraculously being this incredible parable about, you know, modern politics on both sides of the aisle. And so like, it's, it's, it's a remarkable show. And, and, uh, and, you know, every time I, I watch it, I'm just like, Oh yeah, you can definitely do really interesting things within this genre um, that people think is like sort of played out by now. It's incredibly timely too. They killed me with the, the John Lennon, imagine uh, celebrity cut up. Yeah. Um, which is so good and on the nose and kind of obscure, but kind of not obscure. Well, well, that and, and then also the the Kylie Jenner um, Pepsi yes, ad that they the put off the ad. air, where she's she she you know participates in like the Black Lives Matter protest, and and they they did a parody of that too. So I mean, like, there's a lot that kind of goes into it, and some of it sort of spots the reference, and that's sort of fun, um, not only like within superhero genre, but also in, like pop culture. Um, it's it's great, it's great, and it's kind of weird. As someone that watches the two, like I'm sure you will agree that it's kind of weird how this streaming show on Amazon has sort of like pervaded through the through the the, the, the culture a little bit. Like like you can cite Homelander as a touchstone for a reference, and people will understand it. And that's kind of blows my mind <laughs> that that the show is big enough where you can do that. Yeah, I found myself trying to explain it to somebody who didn't know yesterday, and I'm like, where do I start in explaining? And I just kind of go to, this is how I feel like it would be if superheroes really existed. But I'm boring JJ. He's looking at houses, so I got to get back to the series. Uh, let's talk about injuries, Greg. Do you think that, you know, it's a war of attrition here, this this final series. Tampa's been here. This is their third time now. Are we seeing like uh, it getting to this critical mass point where it's kind of evened out? Like It didn't seem like the Avalanche had their speed or their finish last night. Tampa may have evened it up. They're still the walking wounded. Like, are we seeing the great equalizer happening here? No, I don't think so. I think we're seeing a lightning team that is 
slowly falling apart. <laughs> like, uh, you know, Chernak and Sorelli and Kucherov are all banged up. Point obviously hasn't played. The thing about the speed and all of that comes back to who is controlling the puck and who is controlling the tempo. And in the last three games, the Lightning have scored first. And when they score first, they dictate terms. When they didn't score first in the first two games, the Avalanche looked like they were going to skate them out of the building. Um, and so that's part of, of, of what we're seeing now insofar as like, oh, it's not like they've gotten their legs back. It's just that they're able to kind of get to their game better and, and put the Avalanche on their heels a little bit more when they get a lead. Um, but the thing I'll come back to if we're talking fatigue, overtime, game four. I mean, like, that is the greatest example of what the Avalanche have to do in the series, which is to grind them down and get them to, get them to a point where they're just not going to be able to skate with them. Um, that overtime was as dominant a period as we've seen, but they definitely deserve to win. And I think it's, it's, it's still a team that has the, the stamina advantage the deeper it goes in the series, even if the Lightning, you know, on the surface seem like they've gotten a second win. This is the Hockey Show with JJ and Ryan. We're talking to Greg Wyshynski of ESPN.com. Greg, um, a lot of people in Avalanche land, Avalanche Twitter out there were pretty upset about the refereeing in last night's game. You know, you saw with a couple beer cans on the ice afterwards, but they did have a hand in the game. I guess from your non-biased perspective, would you say last night's game was refereed fairly? I just want the Avalanche fans to hear it from your mouth rather than mine. <laughs> I don't think it was, it was refereed fairly. I think it was a classic example of the officials, you know, through human nature, through, I, I don't know, pregame chats or whatever, it's one of those games where you went into it and you said, the Lightning are going to get their opportunity on the power play. And lo, and lo and behold, they did. It's a game five. The series has now gone six. I'm sure that makes everybody happy that it has gone six. And it's just one of those predictable things in hockey. Um, were there calls that were missed? Sure. The McCarr call that was made to make it a four-on-three, which, again, is like money in the bank for that power play was, I don't think, a good call. Um, so, yeah, I, I didn't think it was a really well-officiated game. There were definitely times when you felt like it had gotten away from them, um, and I think some of the calls that were made were a little bit specious. What did you think about the goaltending? We've seen Andre Vasilevsky go from Homelander-level superhero to, you know, uh, mere mortal like the rest of us. We've seen Darcy Kemper have these incredible moments and then allow some some soft goals, that, you know, <laughs> I know he got a piece of it, but Jan Ruda's goal comes to mind. Like, what are your thoughts on Darcy Kemper and, and continuing to go back to him and just the goaltending in this series? Well, I picked I picked the Avalanche in six, and part of the reason is I thought that Frankie would be playing by now, to be honest with you. Like, I'm, I'm not a Kemper guy. I, I, I think that he had a really strong second half of the season statistically, and he should be applauded for that. But by no means do I think he's been solid in the, in the, in the postseason outside of a couple games. And I think that there are way too moments, way too many moments when he does what he did on the Ruta goal and when he does what he did on the Sergachev goal in game one. Um, and those are two that need to be stopped. And you can make the argument that the Palak goal needed to be stopped too, even though it was definitely kind of a defensive breakdown in front of him. Um, so, yeah, I mean, like Vasilevsky isn't allowing anything soft right now. And, um, and he seems to be getting a little bit more confident as the series goes on. He doesn't have the aura of invincibility that he's had in previous runs for them, Vasilevsky, but he certainly isn't giving you anything, you know, he's not giving out any, any gifts like, like Kemper is right now. Indeed, I agree with that 100%. Let's look at Nathan McKinnon's game. He's only had one goal this entire series, three assists, 
but he's been firing the puck. He's get pretty much averaging over five goal, or five shots on goal per game. Do you think that uh, there's more to be desired from Nathan McKinnon's game this series so far, or how are you assessing his game right now? Well, it's a, it's a tricky one because if you ask the Avalanche, like they've definitely tasked him with things that go beyond scoring goals. Like, you know, when they're on home ice trying to push back against the Santos line and, and forecheck them and, and be more defensive against them. Um, but I mean, like, you still have to finish. And he had that one opportunity last night where he, he beat Vasilevsky five hole and it went wide. That really is one that you, mm-hmm. you want back. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, listen, last night, you can look at it one of two ways. You can look at it as it was a, a one goal game in which they didn't get really anything of consequence from McKinnon outside of the, the assist, um, Lannis Cog, Ranton, and, and Kadri. Um, or you can be a little concerned that in what was, uh, the, the biggest game of the postseason, biggest game of the season, biggest game of their lives, um, some of the biggest names on that team didn't produce. And that's kind of maybe a concern, or maybe it's like the game was still close even though that happened, and, and maybe that won't be a repeatable thing in the next two games. Greg, we've heard John Cooper say he has the easy job. He just stands behind the bench and gets to watch hockey. But do you do you feel like there's a bit of a coaching battle going on here and, and maybe, uh, you know, the... the I know we're not going to say the tide is turning because it still feels like it's inevitable that the Avalanche are going to get there at some point. But uh, I guess, how do you view this this uh, coaching battle going on between kind of the the original John Cooper and maybe the new John Cooper? <laughs> well, I mean, first of all, obviously Cooper is winning the war of words uh, in the sense that he was able to change the conversation from, from the, his team losing an overtime game on home ice and then facing elimination to you know, people diagnosing the the, the catalyst for an, uh, you know too many men on the ice penalty. I mean, he he did that tactically, I think, and I think he did a really smart thing because it, it changed the news cycle for a good twenty four to forty eight hours. As far as like line matching and things like that, I mean, you know, obviously he's he's done a really good job of of knowing who to deploy against the Avalanche and and getting some results there. But ultimately, the Lightning really has felt throughout the entire series that they had a recipe to beat the Avalanche, and. They've felt that through the first two games, even though they, they couldn't really apply it because they got down by both multiple goals in the first 10 minutes. They took some dumb penalties. But throughout all of that, they're like, when we get to our game, we think we can beat them. And so what the Avalanche have to do is kind of put a little doubt in there, you know, put a little scare in them, you know, get a, get a 3-1 lead at some point. Like, there, there's way too much confidence right now on the Lightning side as far as we know how to do this, and, and when we execute our plan, they can't beat us. Um, because there's been a couple games of proof of concept of that now. All right, Greg, we're getting to the moment. I know you mentioned penalties. We talked about the officiating in the last game. You mentioned John Cooper changing the conversation to having people dissect what happened. There was a debate about whether the Avalanche had too many men on the ice in Game 4. They get called for too many men on the ice late in Game 5. <laughs> I have to say, to the fans who think John Cooper got his way by by whining and crying about this, I have to bring up a point, which is at least late in the regular season, the Avalanche were the second most penalized team for too many men on the ice calls. <laughs> they had one late against Nashville that was controversial. I mean, it's not unfathomable to think that the Avalanche are maybe exploiting the line change to a degree, right? given the history of they've had this season. Yeah, totally. And, and you know, the, I saw that penalty in the third more ironic than anything else. And I asked 
I asked Cooper about it after the game, and he didn't really bite on the weird symmetry that hockey takes on sometimes where that call doesn't get made in overtime, then the call does get made at a very critical juncture. Like he said, I mean, that reduced the time the avalanche could pull Kemper from like three minutes to 40 seconds. I mean, that's a huge, huge call in that game. It changes everything as far as their ability to rally. Um, the one in overtime was warranted, man. Like I, the thing that bothered me most about the, the conjecture about that thing was like some really, really smart people being like, well, that's a call. That's something that happens all the time. Yeah. Like, but it doesn't, it doesn't. It, I mean, cause all the time is not, in an overtime in a Stanley Cup final playoff game in which the game-winning goal resulted from the guy who jumped on early. Like, it doesn't happen all the time. It's okay to, to look at something uh, and not have it be in a vacuum and say situationally it shouldn't have happened. Um, so that was kind of like the thing that, that we, as hockey fans, we always do this. We always do the, you know, well, I mean, they missed that tripping call in the second period. I'm like, who cares? Like, it's a, it's a different magnitude of missed call, and it's okay to, to, to say that there are different magnitudes of missed calls. When I think, too, like, the, if the goal scored, the game is over, nothing's changing now. We're moving on from it. But it's not ridiculous to think, and I think even more so now that we saw it happen at the end of Game 5, that it was too many men in the, the end of Game 4. The result is the result, so if you're an Avs fan, what's it matter, right? And there's some right. bullsidesism about it too, where it's like, well, Tampa was changing and they had too many guys, but Tampa doesn't have the puck moving in on a rush, you know, like they don't have possession. They're not in scoring. Those guys aren't defending. Um, so yeah, I think it's, it's definitely interesting. It was ironic. Like you said, I wish Cooper would have bitten cause he tends to give good quotes and that would have been something I wanted to hear from him. Um, but I just wanted to bring it up cause I don't think it's, I mean, it seems more likely after last night that it was too many men, and the Avs have done it quite a bit this season. Yeah, and as far as like the penalties in, in Game Five, I mean, you know, maybe, maybe him saying something, you know, there was a, a bit of a "Hey, let's make this hole for him" kind of thing for the referees. I don't know. We don't get a chance to talk to them, so I don't know what really goes on in their heads. But as hockey fans, we've we've seen this movie before, and like a team, it's back against the wall is usually the team that's going to get the benefit of some calls in a potential elimination game, and they got them, and they, and they took advantage of one. And, and again, like, that's, that's the, where the margin is right now. It's a, it's a, it's a soft Kemper goal. It's a it's power play goal. Like, it's, it's a real, really, really, really tight series, and, and it's going to tip either way depending on who gets a break or two. And I think, too, if, if you're complaining about it too many men on the ice call being missed and everybody can go back and look and see it, Officials are probably going to be watching out for that scenario in the future. Sure, I mean, I mean, I, you know, it's it, it, these guys all talk after games. They get on a call with Steve Walcom, the, the director of officiating. They look for certain trends. It's, it's no different than than getting intel on a guy that dives or getting intel on a, a, a pick play that a team runs. Like, if there's a, a propensity for a team to do something, they are going to look for it. So. You know, maybe that's what led to the third period call. I don't know, but uh, but there certainly is that that awareness from the officials um, as to you know what to look out for in a certain game. Greg, last one from me, and of course, this is Colorado's first Stanley Cup final in a long time. A lot of us media members, this is the first final we've covered. I've only been in a small handful of buildings, never been to New York where there's no quit. But I wanted to know <laughs> from your personal standpoint, where does Colorado? fan base rank i mean in terms of in-game participation awareness of the game and obviously they're loud but how loud are they comparatively they're they're really loud but i, I and and it's great i mean it's a great atmosphere and, and it's super hype and and 
you could tell you could tell two things about him right now. One that there's been this incredible hunger for this moment. I, I, the thing I always say about about fan bases and passion is like the only way to really stoke passion in a market is by living and dying with your team in the playoffs. And Lord knows they've done that for the last four years, right? Mm-hmm. Like it, it is no question that they've they've been through it, and and to finally have this moment of potential catharsis, I think you can feel it in the building, but. I'm gonna be honest with you, man. Like I, I'm, a, I'm a veteran of, of teams that have, uh, you know, failed in the postseason, and then and then some adversity hits, and and the building reacts in kind. And I kind of felt that a little bit last night when the Lightning scored. I felt a little bit of the "here we go again" vibe. I felt a little bit of the, uh oh, you know, the, the, maybe the, the, the building got a little bit quieter than than it had been. I don't know if you guys felt the same thing, but I, I felt I felt a little bit of that. Um, hey, this was supposed to be a party kind of <laughs> kind of vibe last night, <laughs> and uh, and someone has pooped on the party, and we don't really know how to handle it. Between the atmosphere in the building and the tweets I've seen, I think you kind of nailed it on the head. Like there was there was an expectation that the Stanley Cup was going to be awarded, and it I think fans almost feel like the series ended with that loss. Like there's still a game or two left, but it certainly felt that way. Nah. I, I I wanted I, to kind of oh sorry finish. I, 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 I don't think that's the case. I, I mean, again, the percentages tell you that that's not the case. And also, keep in mind this. I mean, like, if you're a fan that felt pressure last night and, and felt, uh, you know, the emotional roller coaster of the game, imagine what the players are feeling. Their families are there. They want to be the ones to win and, and hoist the cup in front of all their friends and all the fans. I mean, like, there's a lot on their shoulders, too, that might not necessarily be there in Game 6. My last question for you, Greg, and we'll let you get out of here and back to your adventures in the Dallas airport. Maybe the dirtiest airport I've ever been to in America. <laughs> hey, they got a Whataburger, though. Uh, I, I got to no, ask they you. Have, they also have the salt, the salt lick for barbecue. Oh, see, that's worth it. That's worth it. Yeah. That's fine. Yeah. Just don't touch anything in the bathrooms. They're disgusting. <laughs> uh, I got to ask you, how, how, do we, how does Colorado rank in, uh, let's say, uh, press box snacks? Chips, candy, <laughs> chocolate donuts. Oh, I like, saw you get real excited about some salt and vinegar chips last night, Greg. Yeah, hit us I, with I, your I, ranking. The salt, the, 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 I, I'm actually writing something for the Puck Soup Patreon about my uh, culinary travels on the road, including the Cherry Cricket and uh, oh, Chiba yeah. Hut, which are two places mm, I really enjoy in Denver. Um, it's, it's incredible. It's, it's, like, it's like when you have a friend as a kid who has like the coolest pantry of snacks yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you just want to go to his house all the time. I mean, like I was talking with Joe Smith from the athletic last night and, and cause I, I noticed that he was eating a sleeve of chocolate mini donuts That's as me. I had a, as well. And, and we both were like, yeah, we planned our day around the, or planned our meal rather our dinner around the ability to finish it off with a sleeve of chocolate mini donuts <laughs> at the game. And that's, it's incredible. It's, it's an incredible array of sweets. Do they have that in the regular season too, or is it just like a playoff thing? It's a playoff thing. It's been heaven. I've probably gained some weight. Mm-hmm. I just pulled out, I don't know if you can hear the crinkling over the mic, I just pulled out a, a packet of dark chocolate Milano Pepperidge Farm cookies that it's I had to squirrel incredible. away last night because I, I didn't have room <laughs> in my gut for them, and so it's a, a day after snack for me, but yes, it's, not, it's not amazing. To be outdone, not to be outdone, Tampa, Tampa has a thing between the second and third period chicken where tenders. they bring up uh, chicken tenders and churros, which is oh my just God. insane. I mean, the churros aren't even that good, but like no. anytime you get like fried chicken with cinnamon sugar, it's, it's a pretty good deal. So they're they're doing their part too. Indeed, indeed. Well, Greg, we'll see you tomorrow night. Um, thanks for hanging out with us here and very generous with your time. And good luck on the flights. I hope you make them. Thank you very much. Uh, have a good day.
There you have it. Greg Wyshynski, ESPN.com. Always a treat to talk to. Greg reminded me uh, when he said, you know, you have that friend with the, the best pantry uh, of a story. When I was a kid, we used to sleep over at my friend's house. I won't name him. Uh, he'll never listen to this, but I don't want him to know. I don't want him to, to know I'm admitting guilt here. But he had the best pantry. And he was also like the, the snack dictator and would, would not let us eat snacks. He'd just be like, no, you guys can't have anything. We'd be like, we're hungry. And he's like, too bad. You can't have anything. So at sleepover time, there'd be like, I don't know, five of us spending the night and he'd fall asleep. And then we would go upstairs and raid the pantry <laughs> and <laughs> eat all the good snacks as a kind of a, an FU for, you know, being the pantry Nazi that he was. Got him. Got yeah. him. And his mom would be like, why are, why are there crumbs and stuff? Was anybody eating food? And he'd be like, what the heck? And we're like, we were sleeping. I don't know what happened. He's not lying. Sleeping though. with full bellies. The chicken tenders and right? churros are, are a strange combination. You're like, do I do I dip my churros in the honey mustard or or, or oh, what? I could go for a churro right now. The abs used to do. I don't know if you remember churros at the press meals, and they were always like sticks. They're just like rock hard. You're like, this is everything that a churro isn't. <laughs> well, we'll get into tomorrow night's game here in the next segment, and uh, you know, get ready for that because there's a good chance. The Avalanche win it there, too. So the Cup will be in the building. So we'll get into what has to happen tomorrow and what we think is going to happen. So stick around through the break. J.J. Jerez, Ryan Bolding, right here on My High Sports. This is the Hockey Show.